0: Hi everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of neonatal birth injuries found under the pediatric section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. An infant is born to a G2 P2 mother via vacuum extraction. On physical exam, there is an edematous swelling on the scalp that extends across the midline and crosses the suture lines of the skull there is erythema over the swelling, and upon palpation, it appears to be above the periosteum. This is a case of kaput succedaneum. Let's continue with an introduction to neonatal birth injuries. Clinically, this is defined as an impairment in the function or structure of the neonate's body secondary to an adverse birth event. In terms of the epidemiology, this occurs in approximately 2% of newborns. The location may include the soft tissue it may be extracranially, intracranially, or it may involve fractures. Risk factors include macrosomia, maternal obesity, breech position, and a forceps or vacuum-assisted device. Now let's discuss cranial injuries. succedaneum is defined as an edematous scalp swelling above the periosteum that crosses the suture lines. In terms of the pathoanatomy, there is prolonged fetal head engagement in the birth canal, Or vacuum-assisted device is used, which leads to blood and serum accumulation above the periosteum, or above the Galea aponeurotica, and under the skin. On physical exam, there will be swelling above the scalp that may have erythema, petechiae, and ecchymoses. In terms of the diagnostic criteria, this is usually a clinical diagnosis. With regards to the differential, make sure to think about a cephalohematoma and iatrogenic encephalosil. In terms of treatment conservative options include watchful waiting this is indicated for caput succedaneum as it typically resolves in 4 to 6 days now let's discuss cephalohematoma this is defined as subperiosteal bleeding that does not cross the suture lines in terms of the pathoanatomy a subperiosteal vessel will rupture leading to the accumulation of blood underneath the periosteum this usually involves vessels over the parietal and occipital bone after resolution of the cephalohematoma a calcification may arise, leaving a subcutaneous nodule that will later reabsorb in months. Moving on to the presentation, the exam may demonstrate swelling above the scalp that is unilateral, and discoloration may or may not be present. There may be an erythematous and fluctuant scalp mass, which is concerning for an infection. Remember that Escherichia coli is the most common causative agent. In terms of imaging, radiography or computerized tomography of the head is indicated when neurologic impairment is present, or when there is concern for a skull fracture. In terms of the diagnostic criteria, this is usually a clinical diagnosis. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about caput succedaneum and a craniomeningocele. In terms of treatment, conservative options include watchful waiting. This is also indicated for a cephalohematoma, as it typically resolves over the course of three to four weeks. Now let's discuss subgaleal hemorrhage. This is defined as blood accumulation between the periosteum of the skull and the epicranial aponeurosis. In terms of the pathoanatomy, there is a rupture of the emissary veins located between the scalp and the dural sinuses, which results in blood to accumulate between the periosteum of the skull and the epicranial aponeurosis. This can result from scalp traction during delivery. On exam, one may note diffuse and fluctuant head swelling which can expand over time. Tachycardia and pallor may be secondary to blood loss, and there may be an increasing occipital-frontal circumference. In terms of studies, labs to obtain would include a hematocrit and coagulation studies. With regards to the differential, make sure to think about caput and a cephalohematoma. With regards to treatment, medical options include intravenous fluids. Remember that fluids are given for volume resuscitation. Another option includes blood products, such as packed red blood cells, fresh frozen plasma, cryoprecipitate, and platelets. This is indicated when it is necessary to control bleeding and correct coagulopathy. Now let's discuss nerve injuries. A brachial plexus injury is defined as a lesion of the brachial plexus that results in paralysis of the upper arm muscles. In terms of the pathoanatomy, this may be caused by a lateral traction on the fetal head during birth. However, Brachial plexus injury can still occur even with appropriate axial traction. On exam, one may note an Herb Duchenne palsy when C5 to C6 is involved, a Klumpke palsy when C8 to T1 is involved, total arm paralysis when all nerve roots are involved, and Horner syndrome when the sympathetic outflow route is involved at T1. In terms of the diagnostic criteria, this is a clinical diagnosis. With regards to treatment, conservative options include physical therapy. Remember that if there is no improvement after three months, this raises concern for nerve root avulsion of the brachial plexus, and an orthopedic or hand surgeon should be consulted. Now let's discuss clavicle fractures. In displaced fractures, one can find edema, immobility of the affected extremity, an abnormal bone contour, crying when the affected extremity is passively moved, and crepitus. In terms of imaging, Radiography of the chest and upper extremity is indicated when there is concern for a clavicular fracture. In terms of the diagnostic criteria, this is based on physical exam findings and radiography. With regards to treatment, conservative options include watchful waiting. This is indicated for clavicular fractures as they tend to heal spontaneously in infants. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that infant mortality secondary to birth trauma has significantly decreased. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to neonatal birth injuries, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 9-hour-old newborn girl is found in the newborn nursery with diffuse swelling of the scalp, not present at birth. The child was born at 38 weeks of gestation to a 28-year-old G3P3 mother. The mother went into spontaneous labor, but the delivery was complicated by a prolonged second stage of labor. A vacuum-assisted vaginal delivery was eventually performed. The child's APGAR scores were 8 and 9 at 1 and 5 minutes, respectively. The pregnancy was complicated by preeclampsia on the mother, which was well-controlled throughout the pregnancy. Her temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 67 over 43 pulse is 135 beats per minute, and respirations are 34 breaths per minute. On physical exam, she appears to be in mild distress and has a 4 by 5 centimeter echomonic area of swelling over the bilateral parietal bones. Serial assessments of the child's head circumference over the next 12 hours show no change in the size of the swelling. The patient's condition most likely affects which of the following spaces or potential spaces, and the answer choices are choice 1, between the dura and arachnoid mater. Choice two, between the periosteum and gallia aponeurosis. Choice three, between the periosteum and the skull. Choice four, between the scalp and the gallia aponeurosis. Or choice five, into the lateral ventricles. The best answer to this question is choice four, between scalp and the gallia aponeurosis. This patient presents following a vacuum-assisted vaginal delivery with an echymotic swelling of the scalp that crosses the midline, which suggests a diagnosis of caput succedaneum. Caput succedaneum is caused by bleeding between the skin and the gallia aponeurosis. Caput succedaneum is an uncommon extracranial injury that occurs during a traumatic birth, particularly in deliveries in which a vacuum-assisted device is used. It involves bleeding between the skin of the scalp and the gallia aponeurosis. Unlike a cephalohematoma, caput succedaneum lesions may cross the suture lines of the cranial bones. Caput succedaneum is typically described as fluctuant and echomotic, and the swelling usually self-resolves within a few days. Treatment is supportive, though patients may occasionally require phototherapy if they develop high levels of bilirubin. Transfusion is indicated if there is significant anemia present, though this is uncommon. The publication by Jacob and Hoarder presents evidence regarding the diagnosis and treatment of patients with Succedaneum. They discuss how this lesion commonly crosses cranial suture lines as well as the midline. They recommend differentiating this disease from more malignant etiologies such as intracranial hemorrhage. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice one, bleeding between the dura and arachnoid mater describes a subdural hematoma. Subdural hematomas are the most common type of intracranial hemorrhage found in neonates, but they usually present with more serious signs of respiratory depression, apnea, or seizures. Patients with a subdural hematoma should be evaluated for non-accidental trauma. Treatment of expanding lesions may require surgical decompression. Choice two, bleeding between the periosteum and galea aponeurosis, describes a subgaleal hemorrhage an uncommon but serious complication of traumatic birth. Like succedaneum, subgallial hemorrhages occur most commonly in newborns delivered via vacuum-assisted delivery, but the swelling in a subgallial hemorrhage involves the entire scalp. Patients may also present with signs of extensive blood loss and neurological disturbances. Treatment involves resuscitation with fluids or blood and possibly neurosurgical intervention. Choice three. Bleeding between the periosteum and the skull describes a cephalohematoma. Cephalohematoma occurs in newborns and is caused by the rupture of the blood vessels crossing the periosteum. They are usually secondary to a prolonged second stage of labor, and unlike caput succedaneum, do not cross the suture lines. The treatment for these lesions is supportive, as most of these lesions resolve spontaneously. Choice 5. Bleeding into the lateral ventricles describes an intraventricular hemorrhage. Intraventricular hemorrhage is associated with premature delivery and usually presents with neurological symptoms. Neurologic findings include seizures, apnea, respiratory depression, or asymmetric reflexes. Treatment may involve urgent surgical decompression to prevent herniation. Finally, a bullet summary. Caput succedaneum is an extracranial injury caused by bleeding between the skin of the scalp and the galea aponeurotica in neonates. That's all for this review about neonatal birth injuries. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the Med Bullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the Med Bullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.